Maybe you've been listening, as I have, to My FM. That's the radio station here in Chicago that's playing around-the-clock holiday music. I think they started playing Christmas music right after Halloween. And uh, if you've been listening to them, you know that they've been asking listeners every so often, what does Christmas mean to you? How would you answer that? What does Christmas mean to you? And then the station will play back some of the answers that listeners have given. And some of the ones that I've heard so far were like this. They're like, the food. <laughs> That's, I love the food. And then uh, another one that I heard, somebody's like, family. It's, it's when your family is there and you don't often get together. That's what Christmas means to me. Somebody else said, it's the lights and the, it's the decorations. That's what's so awesome about Christmas. That's what it means to me. All of those answers are really good. I mean, I love all that stuff, don't you? But if you're in a situation where you're maybe facing a health crisis, maybe you can't eat the food this year. Maybe you've lost a loved one this past year, and so the family dynamic doesn't feel the same. And you feel that. Or maybe your family's fracturing, and the lights and decorations don't actually help. They actually kind of make it worse. And so hearing, you know, go for a ride in a one-horse open sleigh isn't going to do it for you. And the truth is that that all of those things that we love about Christmas, the food and the family time and the, the decorations, as good as they are, they don't go far enough in answering this question of what does Christmas mean? And one reason I, I like the Bible's answer about what does Christmas really mean is that it works whether your Christmas is merry and bright or, honestly, kind of sad and dark. Either way, it still speaks, and it speaks a word of meaning to you. And that's what I want to look at tonight. The Bible's answer to the question, what does Christmas mean, could be answered in one word. It could be brought down that simply. Let's look at that together. If you'd look at Luke 2, which the children just uh, presented so beautifully. And let's look at verse 8. It said that that night, that night that Jesus was born, there were shepherds or sheep herders staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep from people stealing them or animals coming along and attacking them. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. The Savior. What is it that's good news about Christmas? What does Christmas mean? That's it, such good news that it would actually bring great joy to everybody. It's this word, Savior. It all, all comes down and can be compressed into that word. But Savior is a word that you and I don't use very much today. It's got all these religious overtones to it. It, You kind of, the only time you hear it is like if you're in Chicago and there's a street preacher who's taken one of those plastic file boxes from Target, turned it over, stepped up on it, and it's got a megaphone. It's like, hey, are you saved? You know? And so, so we wonder, why would a Savior being born be such good news? That's what I want us to look at tonight. I think maybe a word that would translate this better for most of us 
is, is not the word savior, it's the word rescuer. Because sometimes you and I need to be rescued. Uh, some summers ago, Karen and I were traveling and we went to the Outer Banks in North Carolina with our family and uh, went straight to the beach and our son Andrew went with his uh, cousin Corey splashing into the ocean surf. And I didn't even look around to see if there was a lifeguard on the beach. I honestly didn't really care because we were right there. We were able to see him the whole time from where we were sitting on the beach. And Andrew was 12 years old and a strong swimmer and I knew he was going to be in great shape. Well, I was sitting there reading my paperback, and all of a sudden I heard in my ear this, what sounded like a lawnmower engine, zip by my ears, just like vroom, like that. And I looked up, and there was this lifeguard in red lifeguard trunks, half standing up on an ATV and going as fast as he could down to the water. And as he was driving his ATV toward the surf, he was screaming out, don't try to swim against it! And all of a sudden, my mind clicked in and I understood what was going on. There was a riptide, invisible, underneath the surf, and it was pushing Andrew and Corey out to sea. And they had started to realize it and were trying to swim in against it, but the the riptide was stronger than they were and they weren't going to make it. And so this lifeguard, we got up and we started sprinting after the ATV and the the lifeguard went swimming into the surf and swam out to where he could guide them. And he's like, no, go this way, go go parallel to the shore. And he guided them in safely. And when Andrew came close, I went splashing in and put my arms around him and just held him and I wouldn't let him go. And even though it was like this blistering hot day, I was chill with the knowledge that he could have drowned. He needed a rescuer. What is it that you need to be rescued from and I need to be rescued from? And having somebody show up to rescue us is such good news. Well, most people here in Wheaton that I work with, they're not saying, I need to be rescued from a life of hard crime. I just can't stop like breaking into Chase Banks. It's those tempting nighttime depository slots. That's my downfall. No, see, the, the Bible's answer to what you and I need to be rescued from, it's called sin, but we don't really understand what that means. That sin is actually like a riptide. It's invisible, and it's tremendously powerful. It'll ch- push us away from where we're really trying to go, and it's dangerous. It will take us down under unless we have a rescuer from it. What does that look like, that force in our lives that God cared so much about us that he would come in Christ to rescue us from? To give you a sense for that, I want to just share three real brief kind of vignettes from people here at Res who would say, this is what Jesus rescued me from. The first one is from a woman who's in her 40s, and she would tell you quite honestly, she gave me free permission to tell her story, though I'm going to change her name a little and call her Mary, and she will tell you honestly, Jesus rescued me from despair and saved my life, my physical life. Now, I know that sounds dramatic, but it's just a simple fact. I know at least six or eight people here at Resurrection who would tell you, if Jesus had not come into my life the way my life was headed, the kind of things I was dealing with and and heading into, I would be dead today. I'm so glad he rescued me. In Mary's case, um, her earliest knowledge, she grew up with a dad who was alcoholic. And she didn't know what that, all that meant as a kid. What she knew it was that dad was mean a lot. 
And dad yelled a lot. And dad could say terrible things. And so she would hide out in her room and try to play with her dolls, hopefully staying out of the attacks. She told me by the time I was 16, I hated myself. I just wanted that pain to stop, and I was, I was thinking about killing myself. I couldn't take it. Well, that summer, Mary was at camp and was hiking up this trail when this other girl in her group or cabin just collapsed on the trail, and that girl's heart stopped beating, and she almost died. Thankfully, the, the guide there that day was able to resuscitate her and save her life. And Mary was just, like, freaked out. She was like, oh, whoa, I don't want that. Maybe, maybe what I want is not to die. Maybe what I want is to figure out how to live. And not too long after that, she, she happened to be hiking again in the woods and took a very long walk that day. And she got to a place where there was an old, unused campground that had been a church camp. And it was overgrown, and, but there was still standing there on the grounds this large wooden cross, kind of like this one right here. And so Mary walked over closer to that and stood there and started to pray. And she said, Jesus, I, I hate myself. I hate my life. I need help. I, I need you. And she said, it was that moment when I knew that Jesus gave me forgiveness, and he gave me hope, and he gave me peace. If you were to talk to her today, you would be amazed as I am. Like, here's this vibrant person. She's, she's a mom and, and a wife, and she's, you know, active in, in organizations and serving in different ways, and she's giving back so much life to others. And I was, like, so thankful as I talked with her. I'm so thankful you're still alive. I'm so thankful that Jesus rescued you. You see, Jesus is a rescuer, and that's what Christmas means. And, and if you're here tonight and you're like, man, I, I don't know that life can really be good again, Jesus can be a rescuer for you. That's what Christmas can mean for you. Well, the, the second vignette is uh, from a couple here at Resurrection that would say this. They would say, Jesus saved us from estrangement and, and rescued our marriage. That's what he rescued. And with their permission, they emailed me some of their story, and they're allowing me to uh, uh, share their names as well. So uh, I just want to share this with you. The wife, Jeannie, says this. She says, to those around us, we were your typical happy couple. We were successful in our jobs and active in our community, but behind closed doors, we were emotionally detached and unhappy. Over time, I began to travel more as a reason to be away. He said he needed space. I said I was tired of fighting for us. Then he said he didn't love me. So I asked him to move out. And then the husband made part of his story as I was a Christian by title only. When I struggled with any sin, I blamed God for allowing me to be tempted. I took no responsibility. I remember blaming my wife for most of my problems and telling her I did not love her. One September, I had divorce papers in my hands, and I was planning to deliver them to my wife in person. Jeannie says, while sitting in my office drinking my morning coffee, I received an anonymous email at work explaining that my husband had left me 
For more than just the lack of love, he had left me for another love. The email detailed how for years my marriage had been full of deception. I froze in terror. I recall being walked out of the office by my assistant and being held by her as she flagged a cab for me. I was so tired of trying so hard and failing so miserably. I started attending a new church, happened to be this one, and connected with women weekly for healing prayer. I also began seeing a therapist, and I could now own my share of responsibility in the severing of our marriage. I had this community around me now that felt my pain, that knew my whole story, and still loved me. That fall, I found out that my husband had begun attending my church. I asked him for space to heal, so we attended different services. But one Sunday, he found me between services and explained that he was coming to know the Lord in a new and profound way. While I kept an emotional distance, I felt a compassion for him that I had not felt in a long time. By that winter, we began to speak of marital reconciliation and an end to our seven-month separation. Incredibly, our marriage was saved. With our marital wounds still fresh, Jesus met us, and our lives are forever changed. Nate says, the greatest way the Lord's worked in me is through the love and grace he's demonstrated through my wife. At times when I told her I didn't love her, at times when I was lying and she knew it, at times when I wanted a divorce and blamed her for the problems in my life, even when she knew the full scale of my sin, she still said, Nate, I don't want a divorce. I love you. And Jeannie concludes, it's been nearly six years since we renewed our marital vows. We now have two daughters. The wounds of the past have been healed, but the scars will remain. It's a reality we accept. And we are grateful for the scars as reminders of his everlasting mercies. Jesus is a rescuer. That's what Nate and Jeannie would say the Christmas means to them. And if you're facing a situation in your life that that seems hopeless, it's not hopeless to God. That's what Christmas can mean to you. Well, third and final vignette is not as dramatic as, as that. It's my own story. And I would say that Jesus rescued me from a critical perfectionism and saved my ability to enjoy life. That doesn't sound dramatic, but it... Let me try to explain what it was like. Some of you will connect with this, and others of you won't understand it, but some of you will go, you're describing me. It was like I would, instead of enjoy life and experience life, I would step outside myself, look back, and criticize that experience or me. I'm a writer and sometimes I would be writing and I would step outside myself and go, that's stupid. Any monkey could write that. And that that self-critical perfectionistic spirit was incapacitating my ability to create. Or I would be taking a walk in the woods and I'd be praying and I would sense like God was, was kind of saying something to me. And then I would, instead of just receiving that and taking that in, I would step outside myself and go, oh, that was probably just myself, subconscious. And I would criticize and dissect and kill the movement of God within my soul. 
And in relating to others so often, I would offer them what I had to offer, which was critical perfectionism. That didn't exactly bless people. Didn't draw them near to me. And and when Jesus came into my life and began to give me this new way to live, I realized, wow, you love me and my imperfection. And and through me, you now give me the capacity to love others and their imperfection. And it's given me this freedom to enjoy life, to create, to relate to people, to pray. I can't tell you what a world of difference it is. Jesus rescued me. That's what Christmas means to me. That's what, if if you've got a pattern in your life where you feel like, wow, sometimes I can be my own worst enemy, Jesus can rescue you. That's what Christmas can mean to you. Now, what is it, friend, that you would say you need to be rescued from tonight in your life? In a group this big, I imagine there are some who would say, you know, thank you, Kevin. I am moved by your stories, but that really doesn't apply to me. I, I don't think I need that kind of rescue like you're talking about. I've actually worked really hard in my life. I've played by the rules And life's going well for me. I'm happy. And I would say, I'm happy that you're happy. I commend your success. But as somebody who cares about you, could I offer a couple questions to maybe help you take this even a little deeper? The first question for you to contemplate then, if you don't feel you are at a place where you have something to be rescued from, is this. Does it occur to you sometimes, does it frustrate you, like how many idiots you have to deal with in life? I mean, you're driving to work and you're like, oh, that person's an idiot. Where did they get their driver's license? How did they learn to drive like that? What an idiot. And then you get into the office and you're like, this project could be done already, except for that idiot. And then even when you leave the office, you're not free of idiots. You go to your homeowners association meeting and you go, I can't believe this person's talking about that. What an idiot. Is it that there's some cosmically faded reason that you have an extra proportion of these people in your life? Or could it be? Maybe just could it be that there's something going on inside you? This impatience. This kind of slow-burning anger. This kind of self-focus that is so animated by your own goals that you push past other people and they become a bother to you and a hindrance. What would happen if Jesus rescued you from that? You would be able to see people in a new way. You'd be able to see them for all their beauty and the dignity that is in them. I'm not saying you'd immediately find them unirritating, but you would have through Jesus the grace to kind of envelop their irritatingness with a love and a patience and a wisdom that's greater than your own. Wouldn't that be awesome? Second question, last one I'll leave with you to consider. Do you like the kind of person you're becoming? Do you like that kind of person you're becoming? When you wake up at two in the morning and you have that little talk with your conscience and your conscience is kind of like you were when you were a child before everything was so complicated and kind of politicized and complex. And there were lots of reasons why things had to be done certain ways. Can you have a free conversation with that conscience? Or does that conscience not like to talk to you so much anymore? Because honestly, the kind of person you're becoming is... needs some rescue. 
Jesus can rescue you. All friends, we all need a rescuer. Maybe you saw uh, time.com who they named as their person of the year. Did you see this? They named the doctors who were fighting Ebola. On the cover of Time was Kent Brantley, the Christian missionary doctor uh, who was well-known in the press this year. And the article explains how when governments were dragging their feet, doctors like Kent Brantley, with not much more than a bucket of bleach and prayer, went in to stop this global health crisis. And while Kent was working with Samaritan's Purse organization in Liberia, he came down with Ebola. He was a doc. He knew exactly what that meant. He told his parents, I may die. But he, said, he told the reporters who asked him, what was it like for you when you, you had Ebola? He said, well, I, God gave me this sense of his presence. I actually never even cried. I, it's not because I was brave. It's like he gave me this peace. Now, we all rightly honor someone like a Kent Brantley who will risk his life in order to go rescue other people's lives. Well, Jesus is like that. Jesus risks everything to come and rescue you from whatever riptide is threatening to pull you down and under. He comes for you. And and Kent Brantley's in Liberia, but Jesus is everywhere. Kent Brantley is 2014, this man of the year. Jesus is available for you this year and every year. That's what Christmas means. That's good news. That's what made the angels break out and say, "Ah, this is the announcement. I bring you good news of great joy. Today is born a Savior.